take your Bible and open to Ephesians 2. Uh, We're going to look at one phrase in chapter 2 and verse 20. Very important phrase. Has a long history. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 20. Actually, we'll read verses 19 and 20 to get the context. It is a foundational matter that we're discussing this morning. What you believe and why you believe it. What your faith is built on. And the metaphor used here is that of a foundation, a foundation that our faith has a foundation. We need to know what that is, and we need to understand it. It's incredibly important. All through the Bible and in the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians deals a lot with the idea of the church, and one of the ways the church is explained is through metaphors, comparisons, not using like or as. For instance, the church is early in this verse that we're going to look at, that we've looked at in the last couple weeks, the church is described as a citizenship. Citizenship. What we're looking at today is the foundation of the house. The church is like a household of God. Later in Ephesians, the church is described as a body, or the church is a bride. And essentially, all of these metaphors describe what the church is. So what we're learning about this morning is the church. The church. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It's my intent as we work through Ephesians, I'm not always going to take this much time with a phrase or a word. Sometimes I will. In general, we're going to work through Ephesians a little quicker as we move along. But this morning, again, this text has a long and rich history. So I don't want to mess it up. So you pray for me this morning. Because we're talking about the church as the household of God. Verse 20, this church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's what we're going to cover this morning. Then, Lord willing, in the new year, when we pick back up with Ephesians, it'll be good for us to start the new year with looking at Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So I'm excited about that in the new year. But today, let's analyze and consider and learn about being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Well, to learn about that, first of all, we need to know who the apostles are. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to work a little bit backwards with this passage. I'm going to kind of start at the end and work backwards in explaining it. So it's a little bit unusual. But Thinking about who are the apostles and the prophets. Well, the apostles were men sent out by Jesus Christ to speak for him with his authority. The apostles were men sent out by Jesus Christ to speak for him with his authority. You remember in the Gospels, it's very important in the Gospels where you see Jesus choosing 12 And then in the Gospels, you see Jesus pouring himself into these 12 for about three years. He trains them. He's preparing them to lead and begin the church. It's important that you know that that's who the apostles are. First of all, they're sent out by Jesus, or if you like, commissioned by Jesus. That after, essentially, Judas betrayed Christ... When you pick it up in Acts chapter 1, it becomes, it becomes important to the apostles that they, they choose another one of the 12. 
because the number 12 was significant. And so after Judas betrayed Christ, you see some criteria for the kind of a person that would become an apostle in Acts chapter 1. And a big part of that criteria would be a person who was present for the teaching of Jesus Christ. That a person to be qualified as an apostle would be one who was personally taught by Jesus Christ. Seemingly actually received the teaching from Jesus from Jesus himself, I believe, becomes the theme and the idea. So they, they choose a replacement for Judas. And then you see Paul is a little bit of an unusual example. Likewise, Paul received direct teaching from Jesus. He received it from revelation from Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, how Paul describes his apostleship, which is different from the 12 and, and unusual. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 7. Paul is here describing the appearances of Jesus. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So notice the appearance, the physical appearance of Jesus is part of what qualified Paul to be an apostle. And notice the phrase, last of all. Last of all. This is, I think, strong evidence that shows you there aren't apostles today. Paul is the last apostle. He's the last one Jesus appeared to. Another strong evidence to show you Jesus isn't appearing to people today. Last of all, he appeared to Paul, and that was a bit unusual. Paul was untimely born, he says. And look what else he says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So these are men who are personally taught by and personally sent out by Jesus Christ. Now again, with that in place, that's a criteria that no one today can can meet, being personally commissioned by Jesus Christ, personally sent out by Jesus Christ, receiving their teaching from Jesus Christ directly. Another thing that set the apostles apart was they spoke for Jesus. They spoke for him. They were his spokesmen. Look at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to give you a lot of cross-references this morning, more than normal, because it's so important you understand these things about the apostles. Hopefully, the end of the sermon will show you why. Acts 1, beginning in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The end of Matthew's gospel ends with the Great Commission, Jesus saying we need to be teaching the nation. Go, you go to the nations, teaching them all I have commanded you. Well, where do you find the commands of Jesus Christ? Acts chapter 1, notice he, that's Jesus, in verse 2, Acts 1 verse 2, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. They're the ones Jesus gave commands to. They're going to take Jesus' commands and teach them to others and write them down in what we know as the, the New Testament. Peter, the, the leader of the twelve, in many cases, affirms this in 2 Peter chapter 3. This incidentally is the last chapter Peter writes in the scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, and this in the context of false teachers. Look at what Peter says. 2 Peter 3, 1-2. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. 
In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So notice, the commandment of your Lord and Savior, Jesus, comes through the apostles. These men are spokesmen for Jesus in a way that other people aren't. There is a sense in which every Christian is to testify and to speak about Jesus. There is a sense in which every true preacher preaches the word and testifies about Jesus. But these men speak of Jesus and for Jesus and deliver his commands to his people in a way that other people did not. One of the things that sets them apart is their authority. Because not only do they speak for Jesus, but they speak for him with authority that others do not have. Let me show you this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul the Apostle writing to a very divided church in the, addressing a very controversial issue in his day which was dividing the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 14, 37 and 38. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, which friends is, is the case, there are people who consider themselves spiritual, who like to use that spirituality as a reason for them to have authority Look at what Paul the Apostle says. He is going to locate the authority for the church in a very specific place. It's not someone who simply claims to be a prophet or spiritual. He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So notice Acts 1, 2 Peter 3, we see the commands of Jesus come through the Apostles. Paul, in addressing a problem in the church, says you need to acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So it's not just in the category of, here's a suggestion for the church. Here's an idea you might want to try. No, what Paul the Apostle writes is a command of the Lord. Here's some good application for that in verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So why people who don't recognize the authority of the apostles and what they wrote should not be recognized by people in the church as a source of authority. That's what you know about apostles. They're sent out by Jesus. They speak for him with his authority. But notice the foundation of the church is built on the, the apostles and the prophets. And the prophets. Well, who's that talking about? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. You might be tempted to think, well, it's the Old Testament prophets. There's a lot of people who think that, but the ordering here is the apostles and the prophets. You'd think it'd be prophets and apostles if that were the case, which it's not. Ephesians 3, verses 4 and 5. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Same book, next chapter, same designations in the same order, the apostles and prophets. In this case, receiving revelation as to who Jesus is. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, talking about the gifts Jesus gives to his church. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave the apostles the prophets. Notice same order. He gave the apostles and the prophets. 
And then in Acts chapter 13, you're reading through the history of the church, you come to Acts chapter 13, uh, it's a, it features a church essentially in the Gentile world, the church of Antioch, and the way the church of Antioch is, a, is introduced is in the church of Antioch there are prophets and teachers. Now if you study your New Testament, you're just not going to find a lot of information about the prophets. You find a lot more information about the apostles. But who this group is, there's just not as much information. But it seems that they worked with the apostles in the foundation of the church. Now my theory, take a, you just search the scriptures, uh, I think it seems like this is how it worked. Jesus chose apostles. Jesus commissioned apostles. They spoke for him with specific authority. The prophets worked along with them in first establishing the church. I think 1 Corinthians 14, the text we looked at previous, shows the, the authority of the, prof, the apostle, and especially what they wrote was always the highest authority. But in some way, this group, the prophets, worked with the apostles in setting the foundation of the church. Well, how did they do that? How did they do that? It's through what they taught. It's through what they taught. Now we're, again, working backwards. The church, the household of God, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and prophets are this special group of leaders in the early church used to set the foundation of the church. Again, the nature of those offices in the church, they have ceased to function. I think the requirements to be an apostle makes it very clear there are no apostles today. There's a lot more evidence, I think, in the New Testament for that. But what about the foundation that they set? What is the foundation? What is the foundation? Well, if you look at what these two groups of people are doing, they're teaching that's what the apostles do. They're witnesses for Jesus Christ. They're, they're teaching the gospel. They're teaching the doctrine of Jesus. They're recording and transmitting his commands to the church. Again, much less is known about the prophets, but what is known about them is that they proclaim the word of God. I think the, the, the title, Prophet, gives you some indication about who these people are. Because essentially, if you look at the history of God's people, if you look at the Old Testament, for the latter years of the history of God's people in the Old Testament, who spoke to them? Who delivered God's word to God's people through the latter history of, of Israel? It's the prophets. It's the prophets. So it makes sense for those in the early church functioning in a similar way to likewise be called prophets. People who are delivering God's word to God's people. And that is the foundation. The foundation is the word of God. What does it mean that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? It means that it's built on their teaching. Their teaching. Let me show this to you in the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 42. This is a, a text we refer to often because this is a text that is a good summary of what the, the, essentially the first church was doing. It's helpful to look at. What was the first church devoted to? Look at the very first thing the very first church was devoted to. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the foundation of the church. What the apostles taught. Or as Jude says in Jude 1.3... The faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. There is the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. It's delivered by the apostles. 
It's taught and it's proclaimed by the prophets in the early church. But think about the metaphor of a foundation. And this is where it starts becoming important for us. The, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, that's the foundation. What is a foundation? Why this metaphor? Well, a foundation gives support. In fact, a foundation gives essential support. A foundation is what the building is built upon. A foundation makes the building sound. This is how you have a sound household of God. Is it built on this foundation? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Not what a person thinks, not some contemporary idea, not some new philosophy, not some age-old tradition. It's the foundation of the apostles, this specific group of men that spoke for Jesus, and the prophets, those who taught what they said. That's the foundation. We need to know that foundation. It's a foundation for what we believe. This is foundational for what we believe. It's the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's why if someone get, tries to get you to believe something other than what is written in the foundation, you should reject that. It's also the foundation for what we do. See, I believe the intent of God's word is not just to show us and tell us what we should believe, but also how we should live and how we should live out the teachings of the word of God. That's why there are so many examples. One of the reasons there's so many examples in your New Testament. And, and thus, this is why if someone tries to get you to do something or live in a certain way that would be contrary to the foundation or not found in the foundation, you should not do it or question it. This is our foundation, the very word of God. It's a sure foundation. Let's look back to 2 Peter, one of the great verses in your New Testament about the nature of the word of God, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter, a letter written in the context of false teachers, to address false teachers. It's why at the outset of the book, he establishes the foundation of the authority of the word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 19. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word. Now in the next verse, you're going to see that what he means by the prophetic word is the scripture, what is written. So, so that we'll get there. Got to do a little bit of preaching here first. We have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light lamp shining in a dark place. There's Peter, the inspired apostles, uh, addressing Christians. You should pay attention to this. In fact, you should pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. This is why the preacher's job is not to call attention to himself or his ideas or his philosophies or his teachings, but to the prophetic word, which is the scripture. You should pay attention to it. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what the apostles did. That's what makes them different from any other human teacher in history. They spoke from God. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation. That's the foundation. Now, let me take the rest of my time 
to apply that. What is this little phrase? Matter. Built. The household of God, the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that matter? What can we learn from that? Well, the foundation has already been built. It's been set. We're not to add to it. We're not to improve upon it. I mean, as if I could improve upon the Word of God. That would be folly. That is not Christian thinking. That is not right. We don't add to it. We don't improve upon it. And yet, this foundation, the foundation set by the apostles and the prophets, has always been threatened. And until Jesus returns, I believe, always will be threatened. And that's why you, if you're a parent, you need, you need to be equipped and your kids need to be equipped because the foundation of the apostles and prophets is essential to the faith. It's foundational and it's always threatened. I just want to cover a few threats this morning and try to apply this in a way that hopefully we can see the importance of the word of God, the importance of this, what the apostles and prophets teach as the foundation for the church. Let me start with a couple of quotes. So don't go to sleep. Again, this text has a long, rich, storied history and understanding and application to the church as what the church believes and does is based on the Word of God. Augustine agreed with this. Augustine says, Faith will start tottering if the authority of Scripture is undermined. He understood that if what the apostles wrote was undermined, then it would lead to faith tottering among the people of God. This text becomes one of the key texts in the Reformation. Whenever the Reformers are essentially battling for the gospel, trying to get Christians to go back to the Bible, trying to get church authorities and leaders to recognize the authority of the Bible over the authorities of any people, this text was, was one of their most important pieces of ammunition against all the false teachings that they went against. Here's what Calvin says. And he's speaking about the authority of Scripture in the context of this passage. This is of the greatest importance. For the tendency to error is always strong. And the consequences of mistake are dangerous in the extreme. I think he's right. The tendency to error is always strong. And the consequences of errors based on not building your faith on the foundation of the Word of God are of great consequence. Now on to some threats. And again, we're just going to move through history a bit as we talk about this. These threats all have the, start with the word letter C. I'm, some of you like that. <laughs> uh, first of all is the threat of Christian cults. The threat of Christian cults. What I mean by that are these groups that add to Scripture. So there's always been these groups that want to add to the Scripture. This is where their false teachings come from. Chad Brown and I got to interact with a, a girl who was a Mormon a few weeks ago. And it, it, was, it, was, it was shocking to someone in the room. I can't remember who it was, Chad. But in, in talking to her, I mean, this was a girl who understood her faith, which was helpful. Um, and, and one of the persons in our discussion didn't realize that Mormons believed eventually, if you live a certain way, you get your own planet to rule. 
And somebody's like, what? Never heard that before. Yeah, that's where these beliefs come from. They're added to the scripture. You won't find that in the Bible. And this is characteristic of all the cults. What they do is they add to scripture, and it's almost always some leader claiming authority that is equal to and usually higher than the Bible. That's how they work. This is why when you, when you investigate Roman Catholicism, you find things like venerating Mary. And you find ideas like purgatory. And you wonder, well, where do those come from? Well, they come from the Pope. Another leader claiming authority. This is, this is how C.S. Lewis analyzed this problem in a book he wrote, The Last Battle. He said this, And then she understood the devilish cunning of the enemy's plan. By mixing a little truth with it, they had made their lie far stronger. This is what the cults do. They take truth and they add to it. They add to it. And again, they almost always have some leader, usually a charismatic leader, like a really good speaker, likable guy, powerful communicator, who essentially has authority higher than the Bible. That is a dead ringer for a false teacher. And again, when your kids leave your house and go to college or move somewhere else or go to the military, the cults are everywhere, and essentially they use the scripture, so thus they're seemingly Christian. This is is another characteristic. They all pawn themselves off as being Christians. But they reject the foundation. See, we don't need to look for other foundations. The foundation has been set. The church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Secondly, another threat, like unto it, is the claims of new revelation. The claims of new revelation. Early on in the history of the Christian church, you had early on this this recognition, what is written by the apostles is our authority. You can find that in the first century. That these letters, the books of the New Testament, are circulating early and they are recognized by Christians and by churches as this is our authority. They discovered what books, what letters had been inspired by God. And that set early on in the history of the church their authority. So guess what happens in the second century or the third century? The 100s to 200s. Other people recognize, okay, that group Christians... They have this set of letters and writings that they recognize as from God and authoritative. So I'm going to write some of my own and pawn them off as authoritative so some of those people will follow me. That's what happened. That's where like the Gnostic Gospels come from. This, this, this claim of new revelation. Okay, well you have those books, but how about this book? That's, that's happened all through the history of Christianity. And it happens today. Commonly in our day, one of the, one of the, you, you have branches of the charismatic movement that have new apostles. You understand that? There are, there are, this is a, a huge movement, and some of the branches of it have new apostles. Some of the branches of it have prophets. That's why you can just, just Google sometime Kansas City prophets and see who that is. There are people in America claiming the authority of the apostles and prophets. You know why? To have authority, power over people. Which is a a right critique of false religion. And religion in general. You ever heard people critique? You know, religion is just 
using power over people. Yeah, when it's the power of the word of God and authority of the word of God, that's good. But when it's someone claiming to be a prophet or claiming to speak for God or being an apostle, it's bad. And it's common. What's bizarre to me about that? As a guy who's, I was thinking this week, I've spent 20 years studying the Bible in depth. There is so much that I'm still trying to understand and learn. So many people are looking for some new word from God and they're not studying and learning the very word that God's given them. The claims of new revelation are regular. This is, this is why things like Awana are important for our kids to take part in where they're memorizing scripture. Where they're memorizing the very word of God so that they'll be able to have it in their heads and their hearts and be able to test what people say to them or what people claim or whenever they're tempted to live in a certain way, they'll know what the Word of God says. This is why it's important for all of us in the new year to be resolved like never before to read and study the Bible. Incidentally, this Sunday we've got some Bible reading plans put out there. Pick one up. Pray for God's help and determine resolutely to read the Bible through in 2020. Or at least read it more and think about it If you want to recognize a counterfeit, you become intimately familiar with the original. Christian cults, claims in New Revelation. Let's get more modern now and talk about contemporary Christian methodologies. What's happening in general? I'm just going to limit this pretty much to Southern Baptist life because that's what I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with us. This is my camp. I live in Southern Baptist life. I know these people. So I... I can speak to us, (laughs) not to us being our church, but to us being this larger tribe, Southern Baptists. What's happening, essentially Southern Baptist life and most Baptists are declining. Most of the traditional Protestant faiths that believe in the authority of Scripture and the authority of the gospel are declining, meaning their numbers are shrinking. So recognizing that decline, people are coming up with, well, we've got to come up with something new. Obviously, and don't ever hear me wrong, I want to see new people. <laughs> I want to see more people converted and believe the gospel. But I'm driven by scripture is why I want that. Where the cults intentionally undermine the scripture, hear me, the cults who have some leader who speaks for God, they intentionally undermine the, the word of God There's a lot of contemporary Christian methodologies that unwittingly undermine the authority of the Word of God. Meaning, they don't don't intentionally set out, well, we're we're gonna get beyond the Bible. But that's what happens. It's what happens. Just one way to see this that's evident is in church planting movements. Because we need to be starting new churches. Population's growing. Right? I mean, my goodness, I'm sure you all know of places that once it was just like a, a wide spot in the road, and now it's this lots of population there. We need to start churches in places where people are living that previously didn't have churches that, are, that were preaching the gospel. So we need to start new churches. Well, here's what I've seen in some of the modern church planting strategies. People don't like having responsibilities, so let's get rid of the responsibilities of members. 
Most churches planted in America today do not have church membership, meaning that it's not really about commitment to one another. That, that's going to turn people off, so don't do that. Secondly, one of the church planting strategies is to minimize preaching or to substitute teaching, right? Teaching is boring. People don't like it. It's not going to work in our age. You know, it's a bygone relic. Let's get rid of that. People don't like it. Or let's at least minimize it. Also, doctrine. I mean, doctrine divides. It creates a lot of challenges. So let's have fewer set beliefs. I was talking to someone, a Christian, and they said, you know, at our new church, we don't get into all the doctrine. And this is a person informed. This isn't like just a, this is a person who should know what they're doing. At our church, our new church, we're not going to get into all the doctrine. My question, what are you going to get into? My goodness, if you talk about Jesus, you're talking about doctrine. Doctrine just simply means teaching. My goodness, what are you built on? Right, and there are biblical teachings that people find off-putting. If people find it off-putting, I mean, that's the great arbiter of what we should do. Let's just edit out things like hell or the, the substitutionary, substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, like, for instance, I mean, you know, in, in our little whatever circle, Baptist and evangelical circle that we live in as Bible believers, there are people that criticize the, the song in Christ alone because it says the phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied. We don't want to sing that because people are going to hear the wrath of God and they're really turned off by that. So we need, if we're going to do that song, we can't use that line. And they actually ask the authors of the song for permission to edit that line out, which, praise God, they said no. Hey, we really like your song. We just don't like what it says about the wrath of God. Or, uh, again, in these contemporary strategies... People want an experience, and this one's really tricky. People want an experience like Disney World. They love entertainment. Teaching, again, is boring. So let's emphasize the experience people have over the teaching. Which, I mean, of course, Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, of course, the apostles give themselves to teaching more than any other activity. But, I mean, my goodness, the moderns are, are so wise, they say, well, we need to minimize that. Because we're not reaching people, we need to make it more like an experience. So they use this word that we all can relate to, experience. Now again, now here's where I've been misunderstood. I'm not against experienced. I just believe the experience comes through the teaching and through the singing and through the, what the Bible says that we're supposed to do as the church. That's the experience we're coming for and that we're looking for. And then people will just, well, I mean, my goodness, people just want to feel good. Which is true. I mean, I want to feel good. People want to feel good. Well, you know what will make people feel good? If they repent. Repent of your sins, get clean before God, then you'll feel good. Don't edit out the very means that bring people to repentance. Contemporary Christian methodologies that unwittingly undermine the authority of Scripture, the question becomes, what is your foundation? Who sets the foundation? Is it modern teachers Modern authors, or is it the apostles of Jesus Christ that set the foundation? That's the question. Is the church, the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Or is it that plus something else? Well, to not be guilty of just being really critical and not offering a solution, let me say this. Let me say a couple things. First of all, I don't, it's, there's, it's not all doom and gloom. I learned some of this by watching Adam Bennett go through his church planting uh, 
process. Adam wants to do what's faithful to the Bible. Praise God. He wants to preach the Bible and make disciples. That's rare, though. It's bizarre. In our own camp, that's rare. Solution, one solution, very simple. Again, what the Bible says. Make Make disciples who know what their faith is built on. Make disciples who know what they believe and why they believe it, which starts with you reading the Bible on your own and you being devoted to to learning teaching of the Word of God. That's why we do Sunday school. The purpose of that is teaching and fellowship. These things are important. We need as a church, and, and especially on the front line as pastors, to be making disciples who understand what their faith is built on. It's built on something that's been set, And established forever, O Lord, your word is established in the heavens. As if some idea, new philosophy could be better than that. One final short threat to the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, or the apostles and the prophets. And that's just contemporary cultural pressure. It's always going to be a threat. The purpose of persecution is to get people to change what they believe. That's the reason persecution is applied. Persecution is essentially pressure to get you to change your convictions or get you to alter what you believe that's ticking people off. And what ticks people off in our world in our day essentially is what the Bible says in, in many places. So the culture, the world in which we live in, which by the way is under the, the power and sway of the devil. The whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. This world pressures you as a Christian to deny essential truth. If you want to talk about or see another example of contemporary Christian methodologies and cultural pressure threatening the foundation of the apostles and prophets, just talk to David DeFazio about why he left the mission field. I'll let him tell the story. But the reality is the cultural pressure is not going to go away and every indication is that it is just going to be increasing. This pressure from the world to change what you believe based on the prophets and the apostles. So what is your foundation going to be built on? What is your faith built on? Well, when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's speaking to his twelve, and of course there's a big crowd there, but it's addressed to his followers, Jesus said, the, the way Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, The one who hears my words and does them. I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a man that will build his house on the solid rock. That's the wise man. The one who hears the words of Jesus and does them. Let's pray. God, help us to build on that foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Help us, God, to look to the apostles and prophets as the foundation of our household of God that we're a part of. We thank you, Lord, for the church, for being part of the church. Help us, God, to guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to us. Help us, Lord, to equip the next generation to make disciples by teaching them everything Jesus commands, that our faith and their faith wouldn't be based on traditions, or man's ideas, or ideals, or new modern philosophies, God, but rather the words of Jesus inspired and written down by the apostles. Thank you, Lord, for 
your inspiration of your word. Help us to take Peter's advice and heed his counsel. God, help us to look to your word as a lamp shining in a dark place. We'd remember, God, that we are in a dark place and as we're looking for direction and insight and wisdom and counsel, that we'd pay attention to your light, your word. God, thank you so much for the college students we have back with us this morning. I pray, God, as they're challenged in life, as they're learning many great things, that, God, they would pay attention to your word as a lamp shining in a dark place. Give them conviction, God, to stand against cultural pressures, to give up the faith, to give up what you say in the foundation of the word. Help us, Lord, who've been through that, to encourage them and to build them up. And, Lord, I pray that they'd be built up today. Help us all, God, now to leave, resolve to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, friends. The great truth that the apostles emphasized is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Our sins render us guilty before a holy God. And God in his mercy and kindness dealt with that problem we could do nothing about. And he dealt with it by sending his own son to die as a sacrifice. He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead powerfully. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. The one to whom all will give an account. And the good news is all of your sins will be forgiven through trusting Jesus. Depend on Jesus to bring you to God. Trust him to make you right with God. Nothing you could do but what he's done. Trust him today. Turn from your sins in repentance. And turn to Jesus Christ in faith. One of the things you get is you get brothers. You get a church to help you and build you up. And that's why we're here. We're here to encourage you in the faith, build you up, and help you follow Jesus. We all do it imperfectly, but we're trying to do the best we can for the glory of God. So we call you to repent and believe. Call you to consider, pray about joining the church to be part of this fellowship to obey the Lord together.